I really want to thank Miro, one of the most useful tools. They sponsor this podcast. They are my go-to resource when it comes to working remotely and collaborating. They're also great for an office, but let me paint a picture for you. Everyone here is working from home in some capacity. Either we have peers that work from home, maybe we're part in the office, part out. Collaboration can be chaotic. Miro is the ultimate digital whiteboard and visual collaboration platform. You could be a remote team, you could be a creative agency, you could be a solopreneur. Miro allows you to brainstorm, plan, and execute seamlessly. Picture this, you're in a virtual meeting mapping out a huge project with Miro. You can drag and drop sticky notes, sketch wireframes, organize ideas all in real time. You collaborate with your team no matter where they are. This is a game changer. If you are ready to transform your workflow, you have to try Miro today. To show you how powerful it is, I created my own Miro board that you can check out at Miro.com slash success pod. It has a ton of resources for entrepreneurs, but it will also show you all the functionality of Miro. So go to Miro.com or go to Miro.com slash success pod for a ton of resources. Try Miro today. It's going to radically change how you collaborate with your team. What do you recommend for companies to sort of stay ahead of the curve? Depending on their areas of operation, what jurisdictions they're working in and the size of the company, that can change. But you have to understand if you're running a business, small, medium, large, doesn't matter. You got it. Michael Baker is a former CIA covert operations officer, president of Diligence LLC, global intelligence firm, and the host of Black Files Declassified. The book is called Company Rules. Everything I know about business I learned from the CIA. But it's not like you get a manual when you sit down for the first day of training and they say, here's the company rules. These were things that I took away. There's nine, in fact. And there's nine because I couldn't think of the ten. <laughs> so, but there's little things like, What's the, the one thing that you really fucked up <laughs> when you were building a business? So what is it? <laughs> Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. They've been supporting the show for over two years now. And when it comes to running an incredible business, HubSpot's got your back. Now, if you're an entrepreneur, you know that nothing matters more than generating revenue, but salespeople aren't just closing deals, they're tracking down leads, they're forecasting growth, they're whipping up reports, managing contacts, creating content, crunching numbers. The list of tasks goes on and on. With Q4 around the corner, there's a better way to win. It all starts with the new HubSpot Sales Hub. Now, with the HubSpot Sales Hub, your data, tools, and teams are fully linked inside a smart and highly customizable platform that feels good to use. It's easy. Turn prospects into pipeline and close your deals all in one place. Plus, sequences and smooth workflows help reps streamline tasks and spend more time on what they do best, connecting with customers. With Sales Hub, closing big deals is simple. Try it for yourself at hubspot.com sales. Uh, that that thing, that moment in time would have been when I had my last interview to get into the agency, into the CIA. And the fellow who was kind of doing that last in-person interview, uh, and I had, you know, I had been talking to them for a while. They had, you know, there's a lot of back and forth, and you never really know where you stand. And 
anyway, so we had this last interview, and he was a very uh, highly regarded uh, sort of traditional Cold War era spy uh, officer within the agency. Uh, very well regarded and a really storied career. So I'm sitting there in my little chair, and he's sitting at a, behind his big desk, and he's looking at my file, and, and the file seemed awful large since I didn't actually work there at the time. <laughs> and so he's leafing through it, and and I'm thinking, oh God, now what? And it's deadly quiet, and you know, which is a good interrogation technique, right? I mean, if you just leave the silence there, and people are inclined to talk, so don't feel like you got to fill up all the space, and so. He wasn't. He was just staring at my file, and and then he looked at me uh, down in his nose, and and he had those little half glasses on, and and he he said basically he said you have the lowest GPA of anybody we've ever recruited into the operations directorate, and I had no idea what to say to that. I figured he was right. <laughs> it was. I knew how how awful my GPA was coming out of university. And, um, and, I, and I looked at it and I said, well, I, I guess that makes me a winner. And uh, he, he stared at me for a while, I think waiting for me to say something else. And I had nothing to say at that point. So I stared at him. Finally, he, he stood up and shook my hand and said, welcome. And uh, that set me off on a, on a tremendous ride with the agency, which I'm always, always grateful for, uh, for that experience. And it also taught me that you know, that I had more ability, more skills than I think just the book learning or the GPA would, would imply. And that was, uh, that was a real moment, right? Because that gave me sort of a, a, an immense boost of, of confidence that then allowed me to go in and, and do what I did with the agency, which gives you a tremendous amount of responsibility at a relatively young age. So that was, I would say that's that point in time when I, I really knew that I was gonna be on the right path. So I was speaking to I was speaking to a Navy SEAL, Kaj Larson, and he was telling me that he he wanted to be a SEAL because he watched too much Top Gun growing up. So I'm super curious. Was it like too much Tom Clancy or, or what? <laughs> what got you into this? No, no, I didn't. You know, I, I didn't really anticipate that's where I was going to end up. I, it wasn't like I had some lifelong dream ever since I was a kid. In fact, I still have a little. Uh, a little one page on lined paper, you know, from elementary school days. I think I was in, I don't know, I might have been, it was before I got the first form. So it was probably, uh, you know, 10 years old. And it was talking about what you wanted to be when you grew up. And my answer was I wanted to be an astronaut. And my fallback position was if I couldn't be an astronaut, I wanted to be a police officer. Um, and so I had no real you know, passion. It wasn't like I thought this is what I have to do with my life. Um, and so it's, it's, it's interesting, but it turns out that it was a, it was a pretty solid fit. It worked out. You said 17 out. years, right? Yeah. Uh, years? Yeah, going on, yeah. Almost, almost 20 by the time we wrapped it oh, up. Shit. So, so what is the, you know, I'm super curious. Um, and, and you stop when you have to stop, but what's the process of training and what's the process of onboarding? And because like that's that seems to be an incredible amount of responsibility to give a kid coming out of college university. Mm -hmm. So there has well, to be it, significant. It depends training. on what you're doing. There's there's a, the, the interesting thing about the agency is that there's I mean, there's a number of what we used to call directorates. They're basically the you know elements within the organization that focus on different things: science and technology, 
uh, Intel analysis, which is where all the really smart people go to write, you know, the material up that gets collected off the streets. The operation side, uh, where I was, um, and an admin, which is critically important to uh, to what the agency does. And so, you know, it kind of depends. It's horses for courses, right? Every everybody goes in and they've got a different training path, and and they come in from a different, you know, past experience. Um, but the the onboarding, you know, and I, I tell people this all the time, young people all the time who who you know talk to me about what the experiences are going to be like, or you know, how they apply, what do they do? The onboarding can be a very lengthy and difficult process, right? Because mm-hmm. of the nature of what the agency is. So you have to be extremely patient. You have to be uh, committed, right? Uh, and you have to be definite about what it is that you want to do. If you just go to the agency and say, I'd like to apply, nowadays you can apply online and say, I'd like to apply because I want to. I don't know, be a spy. I want to work for the You have to, I, I, you know, they're looking for something a little bit more defined than that. They're looking for people with commitment, with self-discipline, uh, motivated by things other than money, obviously, because it's a government job. If I told you yeah. what my starting salary was, um, you'd probably, you know, send me a bag of money. <laughs> but it was, uh, so it's, but it is a, it's worth it in the end, right? For the right people, for, for, for when it's the right fit, it's, it's a tremendous experience. That's all. And, and, you know, what is the right person for that kind of job? How do you know growing up that you could be the right person? And then you think about what's the right person for CIA versus FBI? Mm. What's, yeah. what's the different yeah. personality type? It is definitely a different personality type, right? It's not, there's, there, there are, you know, there's not a lot of similarities between working for an intel operation and, and working in law enforcement right Correct, um, yeah. but i think there probably are some traits that cut across you know both of those areas and um i would say again self-discipline would be one of those things uh self-starter motivated um patriotic that yeah. always helps uh and but with the agency look they they're looking for people who can work independently and but who can work as as team members right you got to play well with others and there's there's also a sense of i don't want to call it uh curiosity inquisitiveness it's more of an awareness and and concern and interest in what's happening in the world right if you sit down and start talking to a recruiter and you don't know what's happening around the world in 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 some detail then that's going to show a lack of, of, of awareness and, and, you know, understanding. Right? And, and the, the work of the agency is overseas. Uh, so that's a part of it. Your ability to do languages. Languages is a key part of, of, of the agency's operations, yeah. of course, because so much, I mean, everything we do is, is focused externally. So it's, uh, you know, and that, then there's other bits and pieces that can fall into there. Um, you got to keep your nose clean. Right. Yeah. Uh, so they still do lifestyle polygraphs. Right? If you show up and you've been doing recreational drugs during the course of your college career or, you know, shortly thereafter, you know, that door's closed. Right. Even though they know it's a new day. So if you, you know, smoked a you know, bit of weed in, in, you know, beginning of college. OK. But the honest to God's truth is they got a very deep well of potential candidates. Yeah. And so, so they don't they don't even bother. They don't even bother. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even though they know the world has changed and is changing, um, again, they're looking for those people who 
demonstrate through their lifestyle that they're disciplined. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people listening to this would think like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't they evolve? And there is so many candidates. I have firsthand experience from this because, because my dad used to work for CSIS. So I'm mm -hmm. Canadian. So, I mean, it's, it's yeah. very different, obviously, but not that different in terms of their hiring and onboarding and what they're looking for and, and the strict policies they have. And it's, it's just because, I mean, it's just the type of work you do. I, f I feel like you don't want any, you don't want to have, let anyone have anything on you when you're going into this kind of work. Like it's easier to do the job when you go in clean and then right. that it's already going to be tough enough. Right. So I, I know that they've had really tough hiring policies in, in CSIS, which is like a similar type organization in Canada. But yeah, no, um, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and the UK's operations yeah. are the same. And, and yeah. really any serious minded Intel service is going to feel the same way. Yeah. You don't want to yeah. you don't want to you know, I mean, why start with somebody who has already demonstrated, you know, the potential to be compromised. Right. In a exactly. Sense. Yeah. Um, so I, I tell young folks that all the time, just keep your nose clean, you know, figuratively, figuratively yeah. and, and literally, literally. <laughs> literally yeah. And, um, uh, you know, and then, and then it's all those other things, you know, study, study languages, get, you know, get proficient at ideally something other than Spanish or French, even though those are great languages, <laughs> but yeah. you know, hard languages are always going to be desired. Um, and so it's, but it is a. You know, it, it, it could be a journey, right? I, I know a lot of young folks who applied great credentials, you know, after the first year, they're still waiting to find out whether they've been accepted or are they going to get through the next round of interviews. And eventually, you know, you got to you got to pay the bills. So yeah, they do lose, you know, very good candidates because sometimes the process is very arduous. And 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 what kind of what kind of personal life can you have during your career? for security and, and clearance reasons or otherwise, just the travel, the, the type of lifestyle that you have, I guess it really depends on the, the deployment that you're, that, that you're given. Yeah, it, it really is depends on the path or the career path yeah. that you're, you're, you're following, right? There are people that, that work for the agency that, you know, are, are based all the time in headquarters or, you know, somewhere else in, in, in a main uh, facility of the, of the organization. And then there are others who, you know, spend your life overseas. I spent oh, basically all my time. I never did a headquarters tour. I spent all my time overseas. And, yeah. um, you know, for the right person. I grew up overseas. I lived overseas. I spent most of my life there. I, I, I enjoyed it. I'm very comfortable. Uh, and that's, that's what I was looking for. Uh, so, you know, it just depends, right? Um, but you've, you know, you, you got to, you know, you, you've got to want something other than, you uh, What's the you know recognition, right? Again, it's not the money, and yeah. it's not the pat on the back. If you're somebody who has to be constantly pat on the back and told you're doing a great job, then you probably need to look elsewhere for employment. Yeah, and and you know, I, then you know we're gonna have to we have to fast forward 20 years, but the <laughs> but then the, then the question becomes, when do you when do you choose to exit at a career like this, and how do you? Because you've exited at a out of a career like this, but then you become you know, you're putting out a book, you, you, you go on TV, you're going on Rogan, like you're not keeping a low profile. So how right. do you come to that decision? That's obviously, first yeah. of all, you're not just exiting, which is already difficult enough. You're exiting and then building a personal brand around yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's more of the, the, the fact that I built a company, uh, you know, started and built a company. Um, and so that's where a lot of the sort of the external activities, the, the media appearances and all yeah. that, because I was, 
I was looking for a way to get free marketing for my business that I was starting up. You're damn smart. That's the way to do it, man. <laughs> I couldn't pay for it. Um, and so, uh, and I talk about it in in uh, in the book that I just came out with on Scribd, uh, the Netflix of books, Scribd. It's an audio book, so it's an easy easy read. Uh, but I talk about that moment when I decided I have to leave, and I left for you know very simple reasons. I was raising a daughter, uh, yeah. and uh, I needed to be home, um, and I needed to be at least home more often. And as it turns out, kids don't really care what you do for a living as long as you're there sitting on the floor playing Legos, um, and uh, or in my case, watching endless uh, uh, um, Disney videos. <laughs> <laughs> So, but uh, so I, I, I remember I had to go and, and make that decision. It was easier uh, because I had a great, uh, I had a great boss at the time who um, was very senior within the operations group and, and was a terrifically uh, understanding and, and uh, generous individual and then had some other good folks there. And they, they really went to bat for me and they said, look, because I wasn't, I was too young to retire. I wasn't retiring. I was leaving. Yeah, which everyone yeah. thought was stupid because I was basically throwing away all that time built up for pension or retirement, whatever you want to call it. So that just got chucked out the window because I, you know, was leaving. You don't have your whatever, your 70% of your five best years or whatever the hell the pension is. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. So that, that went out the window. So people thought I was being enormously stupid. They kept asking me what it was that I was going to do. I didn't really have an idea. Um, I was very fortunate that I had a very good friend of mine who uh, came out of the British teams. Um, and we'd known each other for a while, uh, and and he wanted to do the same thing. And he was with the, the by that time he was with the British service, one of them, and and uh, he wanted to leave. And we decided to kind of strike out. We got lucky, uh, both getting brought into a startup in the intelligence and investigations and security services industry, mm-hmm. which is kind of the only thing I could think of uh, that aligned with the skills that I had. And so we, we had a lot of luck right at the outset. And, you know, I, looking back on it, and I talk about this, I think in the, in the book is that I never was engaged in an operation that worked that didn't have some element of luck, right? You'd like to think Mm -hmm. it's all because you're so fucking clever, but it primarily, there was always some little bit of luck that, that, that came in there and influenced the outcome. I was, uh, you know, when you, when you pivot into private, you're building, you're building a company in the intelligence space. It's, you know, it's interesting because you had a, you had a behind the curtains view at a lot of the darkest spots of the world, but you can't bring that into the private industry. So you have to separate and delineate those two, those two lives basically. So when you do that, because in theory that could even be, uh, a competitive advantage for private industry. So how do you build something and, you know, former, former, you know, boss is not concerned about what you're building, about who you're consulting for, about the information, um, that, that, you know, you're giving these companies, what's the offboarding process like? Yeah. I, you know, when, when we got started, there, there wasn't a lot of this going on, right? You didn't have a lot of movement from the Intel community, whether it was in here or the UK or yeah. wherever, um, into the private sector. Not, you know, not that I'm, you know, as yeah. old as Wilford Brimley, but you know, it, it was a, it was a while back. And 
So we didn't really know, I think, at the time what we were getting into, which is why we were so fortunate. There's this fellow that yeah. I, I mentioned who, had, uh, who hired us at the outset. He really kind of acted as a mentor and, and allowed us to set the table. And we knew we wanted to have our own gig. I mean, there was no question about that. We wanted to have our own business. And yeah. I think that came out of the fact, certainly for me, that the agency, the CIA, does give you so much responsibility that my theory is once you've been there, particularly in the operations side, if you've worked overseas in operations for a long period of time, you would make the world's worst employee anywhere else, right? <laughs> you would be a terrible employee. And I knew I would be. So I knew that I had to have my own business uh, at some point. And, and uh, you know, my buddy Nick felt the same way. So we had a chance, you know, to understand what the investigations intel security services business was like in the private sector by working with Mike Comer in the UK. We were based out of London. And, um, and that was uh, both lucky and, you know, enormously uh, helpful. Yeah. So from there, we were able to then start our own, our own business and, you know, build that uh, over the years. Um, but the agency I've always had a good relationship with because I respect them immensely. Yeah. I respect the people I worked for. I keep my yap shut when it comes to, you know, all the important things. I want to take a second and thank Indeed. They're a huge sponsor of the Success Story podcast. And as business leaders, we're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. It's to match with Indeed. Now, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. You need to ditch the busy work. You need to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster all the tools you need are in one spot. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite. Now, as a business owner, I always remember when my company hits a growth spurt. It's great, but then you realize that things start to break. Things are taking three times as long. Manual processes start to bury your team in paperwork and admin, and you really don't have one reliable source of data or truth to understand how healthy your business is. If this sounds familiar, you have to know three numbers. 37,000, that's how many businesses have upgraded to NetSuite, the number one cloud financial system. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years streamlining accounting, inventory, HR, and more for growing companies. And one, because your business truly is one of a kind, NetSuite gives you customized solutions so you can manage everything about your business in one place, from inventory to invoicing, one powerfully efficient system. I love having all of my data in one spot NetSuite allows me to do that. It gives me the big picture so I can make smarter decisions. And they turn complex financials into understandable, actionable insights. Right now, you can get NetSuite's popular KPI checklist for free to help improve your business. It's designed to help you boost performance across key areas of your business. Go to netsuite.com slash Clary to download the checklist and see how one complete system 
can transform your growth. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Get more control in your business with NetSuite. Just a quick question. Have you ever had one of those oh no moments when you realize that you accidentally deleted a huge file or worse, your whole computer dies? I know I have. It's happened to me a lot, but don't sweat it. The sponsor of today's episode, Backblaze, they have your back. It is unlimited backups for all your Macs, your PCs, or even your whole company. And it's really affordable, under a hundred bucks a year. If you're running a business, they take the stress out of protecting everyone's data. If you need more bells and whistles for compliance, so on and so forth, they have enterprise options too. Honestly, losing data sucks, but Backblaze makes getting it back easy. They have restored billions of files. They offer tons of restore options, including rapid recovery in an event of data loss or ransomware. And you can access your backed up data from everywhere and anywhere in the world using their web app, iOS, or Android apps. It's been recommended by the New York Times, Inc., Macworld, PC World, LifeWire, Wired, Tom's Guide, 9to5Mac, and tons more. And best, you can try it fully featured with no risk at backblaze.com slash story. They set up that link for all Success Story podcast listeners. That is a no-risk free trial at backblaze.com slash story. Seriously, back up your stuff. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. I want to thank Belay for sponsoring today's episode. They provide solutions that all of us need. They help us get back more of our time because time is the most precious resource. A lot of you listening our business leaders, entrepreneurs, you know that if you spend your time incorrectly, it can make or break your business, your personal, professional relationships. It can completely sidetrack you and stop you from reaching your goals. So I'm going to ask you, are you protecting your time? How much of your day is eaten up by tasks that could have been done by someone else? Wouldn't you rather spend your time on things that truly matter? The answer should be yes, because you have to, to move the needle on whatever it is you're trying to build. That's where Belay comes in. They are the nation's largest pool of exceptional US-based talent. Belay offers flexible staffing solutions to free you up. Need a virtual assistant to conquer those pesky administrative tasks or maybe an accounting professional to really keep your finances in order? Belay can help with all that and way more. Their personalized matching process saves you the headache of hiring by finding the perfect match for your needs in as little as a week. Focus on what matters the most with the help from Belay. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to learn more and get started. Yeah. And um, 
you know, I never felt like, you know, some people leave an organization, doesn't matter what the organization is, yeah. and they feel like they didn't get enough hugs or they weren't respected. And so, you know, they always, or that if the organization had just listened to them, things would have been different. I never felt that way. You know, I was, I was out in the field, I was on the street. I just, I did, you know, the tasks. And I think in a simple minded way, that's why I was a good fit because I never sat around and stared at my belly button and wondered where I fit in the whole you know, scheme of things and, you know, all the, uh, the, the questions that can come from working for an intel organization. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and as, as you build this up, you know, you mentioned something being being uh, in the agency probably makes you the worst employee in the world, but it also made you a successful entrepreneur. So I'm curious about. And I think this is probably what allowed you to actually write this book. So what were some of the things that you learned while being in the agency that allowed you to be successful? Because there's always these traits to carry over. And I find it fascinating between sports and business. And I've never really thought about, you know, agency life and business, but there's a lot of parallels there, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it is, you know, I. I'd been asked about, well, you want to write a book about your, 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 you know, over the years about your time with the agency. And I was like, no, A, I don't think anybody <laughs> would ever want to read it. And, and B, you know, I don't see any need for it. And, and other people are doing that and that's fine. But then after a while, um, you know, it, it became clear that one of the things that was interesting to me was that uh, there were certain things I did learn from my time with the agency. I don't even know that I, I knew I was absorbing those ideas or principles. Uh, at the time uh, that allowed you know me to get out and build a company and and keep it you know moving uh, forward hopefully uh, still to this day and so I think the and and, and look these these things I, I, I refer the, the book is called company rules right company rules everything I know about yeah. business I learned from the CIA but there's no set of company rules it's not like you get a, a, a manual when you start sit down for their first day of training and they say, here's the company rules. But these were things that I took away. You know, I know guys that I worked with, people that I worked with, they left, I'm sure they took away their own ideas, but these happen to be mine. And there's, there's a variety of them in there. Uh, there's nine in fact, and there's nine yeah. because um, I couldn't think of a 10th. <laughs> so, and I didn't want to just make shit up. So, uh, but there's little things like um, define the mission. Right. And that sounds sounds simplistic. But when you join the agency, one of the first things that happens is you spend what seems like an ungodly amount of time uh, sitting in like a windowless classroom for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, listening to people bang on about the structure of the organization and the structure of the intel community and the structure of its place in the world and the world itself and and how all these pieces link together and you don't realize it necessarily at the time, but what they're trying to do is they're trying to define the mission. They're trying to explain to you, you know, who you're working for, because most people show up without really having a full understanding, obviously, yeah. and, and, and what your purpose is and what the agency's purpose is in life. And that's critically important. And so I, I do the same thing in, in, in business. What I've found over the years is, A, you got to hire people. Uh, smarter than yourself, right? You, people hear that all the time. It's a kind of a trite saying. Uh, for me, it's easy because I can, I can find lots of people smarter than me. So, but you have to hire people smarter than yourself. And then what I found most effective is just to find the mission. And the mission may be just for a particular project. Here's the project. The, the mission is not, okay, we have a company and the company wants to make money. Eh, mm -hmm. you know, 
That's, that's a shitty mission statement. But the, the mission can be, what do we want to be? We want to be, we want to be the finest intelligence, investigative, and security services firm in the world. Okay, now you're getting closer to a mission statement. But the mission statement can also be for just specific projects for clients. Here it is. And I'll explain that to a team leader who's got a, a staff of people who are going to work on a project. You explain the mission, you make sure they understand it, then you get the hell out of the way. Right? And then you count on the fact that you've hired the right people. And, and so in our case, at, at Portman Square Group, we try to hire smart, curious people who speak multiple languages, who are great at, at, at research and investigation and eliciting information, yeah. uh, solid at writing, and then you stay out of their way and you let them do the job. And that's one of those things that I took away from the agency. Other little things, you know, like knowing your operating environment, um, that is fairly self-explanatory from an operational perspective, right? If you're operating in a hostile or challenging environment, you better know what the hell you're stepping into, right? And the agency has always been very good about that. The best managers, the best officers, when they get new people coming into their area of operations, give them time, right, to understand the, the environment, to understand, get out, really just understand where you're, where you're working in, right? Get out there and get a feel for it before you get started doing whatever it is you're going to be doing. And in business, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty much the same. Know your operating environment. I mean, that means everything from... You know, know your, your competition, know your, your potential clients, you know, know your shareholders, your investors, yeah. uh, understand the jurisdictions you're operating in and what the limitations are there. Uh, so there's all these, these little things. And, and, and there's a series of these ideas. Again, I don't know that I was even aware I was absorbing them. But eventually, you know, a while back in a conversation, someone said, well, you should put all this down in a, in a, in a book. And, and so we did. And, you know, no, there are a lot of parallels. I think what's most fascinating when I look at your life in the agency versus your life as an entrepreneur, founder, business owner, when you, when you have to, for example, define your mission in the agency or know your operating environment in the agency, if you do not properly define your mission, people can die. If you do not properly know your operating environment, people can die. In a business, there, there's a lot of times when people try to define a mission, but they don't properly do it. And no one dies. And maybe, maybe the business dies, but nobody actually dies. They just work half-assed or they work without guidance for months at a time and they waste a lot of money and, and they, you know, they bullshit around and whatnot. So I guess when you, when you come from such a, like a high-pressure environment where there it, it's very black and white there can be no margin of error because it's a very high risk environment in some of these cases how do you take that and how do you take the how do you have the same level of um i, I guess see, that right. information landing yeah. with your team that you yeah. get you understand yeah. what i'm saying no i do it's a, it's a really yeah it's a really good question it's a really smart question it's um you know what, if you don't, if, if you don't, I suppose the answer is if you, if you really don't care about your business or you really don't care about your clients, then eh, I suppose fine, fuck it. You know, I'm just going to, yeah. you know, here, here it is. Let's see how it goes. And maybe we make some money and, you know, live to see another day. But um, when it's your own business, and I know a lot of your folks are, you know, entrepreneurs and, and you know, they've started or have started or a process of building their own businesses. It, it's really a different situation, right? Every day. It's you. Every day, it's your reputation. No matter how big the company gets, um, you are, at least I feel, so personally invested 
in the work product that goes out the door and how our clients feel about it. And we work for a lot of Fortune 50 companies and large law firms and financial institutions and others. And I worry all the time, excessively so, about you know whether we're doing the best job we can for them. And I know that sounds trite, but uh, honest to God, it's the truth. I stress more about whether the clients and some of the and I've worked with some of these companies now for you know a decade and a half or longer, and you know they're very good friends. And so maybe yeah. that puts more pressure on because now you're working for friends. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Not does. just some some company, uh, but so you try to you try to impart that to the folks that are working with you. Right. And that's tough. If you're talking about like, you know, younger folks, they've just come on board or whatever. They're, of course, yeah. they're not going to be as invested. They're not going to be as concerned. They're not going to stress about things. But we've been lucky. We've got people that have been with me now for over 15 years. Right. Which is a little unusual in this industry. You get a lot of staff movement typically. But we've had people that have stuck with us for a long time and they do feel that same level of stress or pressure. And I think that's that's important because it sets you apart. Right. I've taken on projects, yeah. large projects, multi-jurisdictional issues where we just haven't been getting a, a result. Right. Because you're just you're doing everything you can and you're just not finding the answer. You're not getting that piece of intelligence or you're not seeing the evidence that that, you know, points to some sort of solution. And, you know, there have been times when I've said, screw it. We're just we're not going to bill you anymore because we're, we're, we're not producing yeah. right now. We're just going to keep working. And. You know, so I've uh, I, not that I'm the world's worst business person, but there have been times when I've been operating almost as a nonprofit because I want the right result. Uh, so I've never had a problem. I've, I've gotten I've been very lucky. People sometimes get out of the agency and they spend the rest of their time talking about their time in the agency. Right. Yeah, I, I loved it. But what I also love is I got a great new challenge when I got out and started in the private sector and started building a business. And. I get a tremendous charge out of it still. Uh, so I've been very fortunate. Again, luck comes into, into this again. I got lucky. Yeah. As you all know, the Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network, which has incredible podcasts for entrepreneurs, business leaders, people just wanting to upskill themselves. One of my favorites that you need to go check out is My First Million, hosted by Sam Parr and Sean Purry. They have incredible guests, Alex Hermosi, Sophia Amoruso, Hassan Minhaj, all sharing their secrets, how they made their first million, and how to apply their learnings to capitalize on today's business trends and opportunity. Go listen to My First Million wherever you get your podcast. No, I think that, you know, you're. I'm just uncovering things that make you successful as, as, as you speak more. And I think that one of the things that was actually a benefit, you not coming from a business background, is this almost this, <laughs> this insane obsession with the customer to to a detriment in some cases but ultimately like that mindset has allowed you to differentiate yourself whereas some people probably wouldn't have gone that far stopped short cut off a project whatever delivered half-assed results and then yeah. you know you don't build the 15 year plus relationships that's what yeah. i'm seeing and that's yeah, something that well, yeah. i think that's i think that's maybe that is i hadn't actually thought about it in terms of um that that approach or that that thought process being a result of, of where I came out of, I probably should have thought about that for the book. Uh, <laughs> no, you can do man, Listen, man, you can do another one. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll write an addendum. Exactly. No, no, I, you know, listen, it's it's always 
the people that succeed the most are not the Stanford or the, the Harvard MBAs. They have their spot. But mm-hmm. I, I believe that people that come from different circumstances have a massive, have an edge, whether or not it's a chip on their shoulder or they came from nothing or they came from a, a totally different lifestyle. They look at things differently. I think that somebody that goes into something saying this is the way it's always been done is the death of business. I always find that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's um, I think there's an up and a downside to it. I, I mean, I do think sometimes, you know, my lack of, of, of a business uh, background or sort of business sense um, has kept me from building a much bigger enterprise. But at the end of the day, mm-hmm. all our clients, including the largest corporations we work for, they say things like, look, we, we're, we're excited because you're small, because you're a yeah. tailored business, right? We can always go to a large, you know, 2000 person company. But uh, so I think, you know, that actually has worked in our favor to stay relatively small and sort of provide this, this tailored uh, approach to every client we deal with. So it's been, that's, that's been interesting, but it's, it's, uh, I, I think if you don't find new challenges when you get out of an environment like the agency or, or the military, look, I know a yeah. lot of wonderful uh, folks coming out of the military and, and it can be, that transition can be super tough, right? Particularly if yeah. you were in, you know, some high speed uh, operations, but you have to be able to find that next challenge. Uh, that, that keeps you moving forward or that, or that provides that next opportunity to grow. And if you don't, then that's when, you know, that's when trouble can set in. You know, it's, it's interesting. You keep mentioning your lack of basically business acumen, but yet you've built a successful company. You work with fortune 50, fortune 100, and you've probably marketed yourself a hell of a lot better than a lot of the people with 2000 person plus companies. Like how many of their CEOs have been on Rogan and, and, and yeah. Patrick bet, yeah, David's podcast, and I'll I'll throw myself in the mix, even though I'm not on that level yeah, yet. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> but you know, so I'm see, you're doing some. So what what do you think, consciously or or maybe now subconsciously, is just thinking through? What do you think differentiated you when it came to building the business, building a personal brand, marketing yourself? Because all this, and then I mean, you're on TV too. You've done some very strategic things that anybody else coming out of the agency, anybody else coming out of uh, military, FBI, even police force, they have a story to tell. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit sexy, but I mean, FBI is sexy. You're up high enough in the military. You do some cool shit. That's sexy too. You can build a brand around that. What sure, made yeah. you different? Yeah. I mean, I think, and some people have, and they've done, they've done it very well. Uh, yeah. you know what? I kind of, I kind of blundered into, if we just took at the media appearances, if you just talk about doing talking head, uh, appearances for, for the news on, on, national security issues or counterterrorism or whatever the, the topic may be. Um, I kind of blundered into it. It was, uh, uh, I had moved from London to the East Coast uh, to set up an office. We had just taken our first investors and they, uh, BGR, which is a fantastic uh, lobbying uh, firm in uh, Washington, D.C. And so part of the agreement for the investment was open an office there with them, co-locate. And at the time, uh, we were starting to, to build up uh, a presence in Iraq, and this was early, early 2003, so very beginning of our first incursion there. But we were, had been dealing some, with some of the infrastructure companies. And so the point of this story is, uh, one day, uh, Ed Rogers, great guy, uh, terrific uh, individual, uh, part of BGR and the original founding partners, he came walking to my office, knocked on the door, and said, "Hey, uh, Fox News um, needs somebody to talk about uh, Iraq. Uh, you know, head over there. It'll mm-hmm. be fun." 
uh, you gotta be kidding me. So I made some <laughs> calls. They said, sure, you know, don't talk about anything stupid, but you can, you can, you can do it. And the agency's always been good with me that way. Um, yeah. But so I went over, uh, did the appearance, and and found out after the first couple that, you know, uh, honestly, as long as you don't say anything stupid, and you don't fall off your chair, right? Um, you know, the news networks need to fill up a lot of time. Yep. And I just happened to have a lot of, you know, uh, experience and background in certain areas and, and uh, was willing to go on and talk about that. And so some of the outlets, including Fox, they were very good. You know, they were very good to me. And, and they were and then I discovered that I wasn't getting paid for any of it. But what they would do is they would put the company name <laughs> on the bottom, like, you know, with with yeah. uh, the company. And I. And once I realized that, then we were off to the races, because, like I said earlier, I, there was no way we could have as a startup afforded. Uh, that sort of marketing. It just wasn't yeah. going to happen. And so, you know, I, I was, I realized that, you know, that was an edge, right? And we yeah. had an opportunity there. Um, and then everything else just sort of uh, kind of fell into place, I suppose. Um, yeah. You no, know, I was going to say, it's, it's amazing how, you know, to, to have a good story, you just have to have a, a cool career, do something incredible, and then speak about it. But you'd be surprised at how many people just don't feel comfortable leaning into that. And then you did. Now it's yeah, I mean, I think the agency, again, because of what I was doing in operations and, and you know, you do have a sometimes an overblown sense of, of confidence. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so I think that that part of it never uh, and I and I genuinely like talking about issues of the day. I, I, yeah. I, you know, I spend a great deal of time focused on that. I have a, a lot of friends in a lot of different places and we, we, we end up you know, banging on about, you know, the, the current crises. Um, there's never, so, there's never a shortage of them. So there's never a shortage. And so it helps if you find it all interesting, right? You can't, yeah. you can't fake that part of it. It's like, uh, but I, I, you know, again, I think, you know, luck kind of fell into it again. Um, and then, you know, once I realized that it was certainly uh, beneficial, you know, it wasn't like I was going to turn down opportunities. Yeah, no, no, obviously. Um, another one of the rules that you mentioned, which I thought was interesting, it just in terms of velocity and getting shit done, it's it's number four. It's get off the X. Yeah. What does that What does that mean exactly? Where does that come from in an agency context? And then how does that translate into business, startup, entrepreneurship? Well, in an operational sense, um, you know, not just the agency, but the military and other organizations, the the X means is essentially an ambush site. So, I mean, A, you don't want to be on the ambush site to begin yeah, with. Fair. So okay. The idea is you spend a lot of time training um, to recognize indicators of a potential ambush. Right? And, uh, you know, but if you do get on the X, if you're unfortunate and for whatever reason you land on that spot, then you have to be able to get off the X. You have to get out of there, right? And, and, and in operational terms, that's a tough thing because everything starts locking up, right? And you're, you know, yeah. you start, you know, getting blinders and, you know, your hearing goes and, you know, in, in any, any difficult situation, right? You have to start relying on big muscle memory. And yeah. so that's, again, why training is so important. Why, you know, it's not enough just to do, you know, some training. You have to constantly uh, review it. But anyway, the point is in business, what it means is, I, I think anyway, in my opinion, this is what, again, you know, there's no hard and fast, I suppose, to any of this. But from my perspective, it simply means knowing how to make decisions quickly with imperfect information, right? Because once you land in the, in the shit, 
from an operational perspective, right? You, you just got you to take action, right? You don't have time to sit around and hope that you get all the data, you know, where, you know, where are all the hostile elements? What the hell is happening? You, yeah. you have to start making decisions, right? And it's the same in, in business, right? You, if you wait for all the data sets to come in, if you wait for all the analysis to be done on whatever it may be, uh, something bad's going to happen, right? Or the competition's going to have your lunch, or you're going to lose the opportunity, or your reputation's going to be damaged, whatever it might be. Uh, so it really comes down to how do you, uh, you know, learn to, and also a lot of this is about how do you impart that ability to your, your, your personnel, to all the folks that are working with you, to make these decisions, uh, again, with imperfect information. And so when you're making these decisions with imperfect information, as, as a CEO, is that just is that just being a leader for a period of time, or is there is there actual practice that you can do to make sure that when shit hits a fan, you don't screw it up? <laughs> yeah, there's. Um, I mean, there's 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 a lot of there's a lot to this. It's a, it's a fairly. I mean, part of it is not that complicated. Part of it is, um, you know, knowing your risk appetite, which is another. Yeah. You know, element I, of, I was of actually curious about that one too, only because yeah. I thought that business inherently comes with risk. So how do you not have a risk appetite if you're building something? Well, you'd be surprised. And then even, I mean, going back to, you know, the Intel community, look, Intel organizations, which, you know, by definition are risk-taking operations, they go through periods of time where yeah. they become risk averse, right? It's because, you know, they've had blowback from, you know, some operation or they've gotten their ass kicked up on Capitol Hill too many times. Yeah. And so, you know, suddenly you've got a, a cycle where, you know, management is avoiding risks. And I've seen a couple of those cycles sweep through the agency over the years. And that's a, it's a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, but, and so and you have to understand what, and, and when you're understanding what your risk appetite is, it also means you have to understand what your shareholders or your investors or your board of advisors risk appetite is. You have to understand what the client's risk appetite is for sure when you're talking about, you know, working for them and providing, you know, strategic intelligence or guidance or due diligence or whatever it may be. And, you know, that's a, that's a, a key part of it. And that informs a lot of other decisions that you make, including how do you uh, you know, again, make decisions with imperfect information. Um, another, you know, when you're talking about risk appetite, um, I'm, I'm interested because you deal with businesses that are dealing with threats. So in a business landscape, advice for executives, CEOs, founders, what are the threats that you see really plaguing businesses right now? And I know there's you know, there's yeah. specific examples that would not transcend every industry or every category, but you right. see, you see macro level. What are some things that people should think about? Well, I think any company of any size, and it doesn't really matter how big it is because small businesses can, can be damaged quicker and faster and, you know, more broadly than, than large corporations at times from some of these. But the insider threat is always something that, that we end up talking about. And the insider threat can mean a variety of things, right? It, it can mm -hmm. mean, it can mean within a pharmaceutical company, you've got somebody who has been um, recruited, developed by a competitor uh, to provide, uh, you know, intellectual property or, or key information regarding research and development. It could mean they could have been compromised by, um, you know, Chinese intelligence service, right? I mean, that that sounds, oh my God, that's spooky. But look, yeah, 
you know, that, that's happened to Dow, it's happened to DuPont, it's happened to a, a wide variety of companies, right, where state-sponsored Intel services have targeted the private sector, gone after individuals who they've identified through the typical recruitment process or recruitment cycle, and just, just like an Intel service would, and go after these individuals who can provide then uh, inside information, economic espionage, basically. So that is, and so that's an example of an insider threat. You know, insider threat can also be, you know, a disgruntled employee who decides, you know, to do enormous damage because perhaps they work in IT or wherever mm -hmm. they may have access to very sensitive information. It could be an accounting issue um, in finance. So the, the insider threat is, is something that, that, uh, companies need to to be focused on cybersecurity is obviously a, a big buzzword and has been for a while um, and that is a whole separate you know uh, conversation in terms of the ability of companies to understand what those threats are to stay on top of those threats um, to understand how to respond uh, when to when to incorporate outside law enforcement assistance. The FBI is working very hard uh, now to try to establish better dialogue with the private sector so mm -hmm. that they can uh, better inform the private sector where these threats are coming from. Uh, and, you know, and it's, it's, it's just, you know, the potential for damage to a company uh, when we talk about, and you mentioned it early on, when you talk about like within operations or within the agency, uh, failure to do the right thing can lead to, you know, death or, or yeah. serious, you know, goat rope. Then, you know, I think with the private sector, you know, you're talking about the, the crushing of a, of, a, of a company. You're talking about the, you know, uh, irreparable damage to a brand. You're talking about, you know, massive losses, uh, layoffs. Uh, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of damage that can be done um, through companies not paying attention. I mean, look at, look, you know, SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, probably not the best example of like that, that sort of insider threat. That seemed more like it was a bunch of tools trying to make decisions that were completely inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, for, also, uh, yeah. Yeah, so there was, so, you know, you also have to worry about the insider tool threat, apparently. Um, <laughs> by the way, I know, I know that, uh, I, I know we booked this till, till three. I was just going to ask a, a few more, then we'll wrap up quick, if that's okay, sure. if you don't have like a hard stop in four. Um, yeah, no, of course. Uh, no. So when you actually go into a company like this or any, any size, actually, well, I'd ask like, what do you, what would you recommend somebody who's listening to this? You know, they have a, they have a workforce of a hundred or, or, or 5,000. Mm. How would you even uh, start to approach that? How, how could they start to approach that? Just look for red flags to know if they should even work with somebody like you. What's, what's the, uh, you know, yeah. what's canary I mean, it depends on, on the, the size of the business. Most, most, Corporations of any size obviously have internal, you know, security departments. Um, they may view them differently. I mean, some companies, it's interesting, even no matter how large they are, they view their security um, element as physical security, and that's pretty much it, right? And, yeah. and you know, access controls and, and, you know, CCTV and, you know, badges. And, you know, it's a very old school way of viewing security. Others are much more advanced. They're proactive about understanding the importance of of a chief security officer of, of a, you know and how they work with the chief compliance officer uh the smartest ones where they have operations overseas they typically have uh international risk groups within their company uh that analyze the potential threats and and try to understand you know down the road not just the immediate threat because you got to keep looking down the road mm -hmm. uh because everything changes and so the, i guess one of the one of the biggest problem sometimes that we see 
when you're talking about how the company or the C-suite interacts with the security side of things, information security, personnel security, uh, strategic understanding of threats that exist to the business, is that there's an indirect reporting line. If I was running a, a corporation of any size, I would want those individuals, the chief compliance, the chief security officer, the head of your cyber security you know, element, your IT personnel, I would want them in my office on a constant, regular basis, uh, briefing me and me asking questions and, and, and having a conversation with them. So you want direct reporting lines uh, there. And oftentimes that's not the case and it's sort of filtered and they don't, and it's a reflection of how they view the importance of security or information. And, and our, our perspective is always whoever's got the best intelligence, whether it's the intelligence about the existing threats to their company or the potential threats, whether it's intelligence about how their competition is creating unlevel playing fields, uh, you have to understand the value of information. And that can be a difficult thing because, you know, again, they look at security and they look at the, the perhaps the internal Intel group as cost centers, right? Yeah. And that's, you couldn't, nothing's further from the truth. Those, those, those elements within these companies are not only saving potentially vast sums of money, but they're creating opportunities for them, right? By their ability to understand and process and analyze and, and disseminate information to the C-suite so they can make better strategic decisions. No, I would say that I would assume, unfortunately, that a lot of these organizations only start taking these groups seriously when something happens in, yes. in retrospect. Yeah, Which... yeah that's, that's very well put. That's a, that's much more eloquent and concise than <laughs> I just banged on about for 10 minutes. <laughs> no, but, I have no doubt. Yeah. I have no doubt. They they only care when it when when again, shit hits the fan. Yeah, which is yeah, which is and the that's worst. typically when with due diligence as an example, right? Yeah, that's way to protect your business is to do thorough due diligence. Now, due diligence isn't sexy. It's not exciting. Right. Yeah. But it's also not a heavy lift. It's not costly. Right. But yet we see time and time again, we see companies that are like, hey, you know, we don't want to spend, you know, some small amount to do due diligence properly, thoroughly on a, you know, 100, 200, 300, 400 million dollar investment, whatever it may be. Right. Because eh, it's a cost center. It's eh, do we really yeah. want to spend that money? You know, Bob worked with Todd, you know, 20 years ago. He knows him. He's a good guy. Now he's at this. You see that, you know, constantly. I mean, look at FTX. Right. Sam Bankman yeah. Free. You know, look at, you know, Madoff, right? All, some simple due diligence um, would have informed a lot of people and kept people from getting hurt. Well, did you see that? You see that JP Morgan suing that company for a hundred some million because whatever their entire customer base is fake. Did you see this story? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Go figure. Well, I mean, but look, it's, it's, it, you have to be, if you're running a business, right, small, medium, large, doesn't matter, you got to ask the questions all the time, right? Never take, I mean, look, KPMG is probably going to get their knickers in a twist because they signed off on SVB and, and, yeah. uh, and Signature, I think, um, yeah. uh, you know, as audits shortly before, I think within a couple of weeks of, of, uh, of everything heading south. So, you know, that's, that's a major well-regarded operation signing an audit you know off and then you've got this problem so clearly people weren't asking the right questions and you know uh, taking the time to actually conduct the proper level of due diligence so we're big fans 
with my company of, of due diligence. Again, not exciting, not sexy. It's not a big yeah. investigation that you can, you know, oh, look at that. Um, but you've got a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it, you know, it, it saves you most often the big heavy costs of an investigation when everything, you know, heads south. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and just to wrap up this sort of the security and, and best practices discussion, what do you what do you recommend for companies to sort of stay ahead of the curve? Looking forward, what are they what are they looking at? What are they researching? What are they paying attention to that you've seen have a major impact that they really have to you know focus on? Yeah, uh, again, depending on their you know their their areas of operation, what jurisdictions they're working in, and the size of the company. I mean that can that can change, but it is it's a great question because it kind of points back to uh, sort of that idea of know your operating environment, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to understand. Uh, and, and this takes is, this takes a while, right? And whether you use internal resources or you have to go outside to, to get it done, you know, you have to understand where you're operating, what those jurisdictions are, are doing, what their regulations look like, what the governments in those areas, if you're working overseas, what what they're doing, what their stability looks like, what the, you know, what's going to happen. I got great relations with a company or with a country now, but you know, elections are coming up. Who should I know in two or three years? I got to build a, a network there. Uh, so there's a lot of little things, knowing what your competition is engaged in, uh, yeah. particularly, again, if you're operating overseas, because, you know, typically it's not a level playing field out there. And yeah. and then you need to, you know, understand even uh, small businesses, you know, need to need to pay attention to the bigger issues, right? Like the banking industry, right? You got to you, you got to focus, right? This is not just about SVB and things are going yeah. down. This is this is a bigger issue. Right. So you have to start being proactive about gathering information and, and understanding it and then using that information to make smarter decisions going forward two or three or four years down the road. Like you said, you have to look forward. You can't just sit and stare at what you're doing currently. What is now let's let's bring it back just to, to close out with your experience building a business. What's the, the one thing that you really fucked up <laughs> when you were building a business? <laughs> It's, that's the lesson for entrepreneurs. Like, what's that thing that you, I know you think of something the second I say that. So yeah. what is it? <laughs> probably many, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's probably not having my wife run the business earlier on, right? Now I'm teamed up because we, we went and um, I love that. We, we managed a, essentially a buyout a couple of years ago yeah. from our last investors. And so I merged it with my, my wife's crisis communications and policy firm. And I've completely outpunted my coverage, right? I mean, she is far smarter than I am. So when you say, what's the one thing I should have done? I should have asked them to, to run the business years ago. <laughs> There's was, a lesson there. There's yeah, definitely a lesson much, there. much better at it than I am. Um, but other than that, you know what? You, you live and learn. I, um, I don't know. I don't think there was anything else that, that existed. I've been very fortunate with the people that we've hired and that I've had a Good. chance to work with. I, I can't really can't really whine about anything no that's good that's a blessing um but you know what that's a lesson in and of itself like hiring hiring the right people listen not everyone not everyone has a has a wife that can take over but you do have a a ceo <laughs> or something that could probably take over and do some stuff better than you too so yeah, that's a good lesson yeah. um yeah. okay if people want to if people want to get this book what's what's this book for who's this book for who's going to benefit from this where can they get it uh and then also yeah. Uh, social for you. Where do you want people to go? Website, all that stuff. No, thank you uh, very much for that. Uh, it's called Company Rules. 
It's on Scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D, which is, again, the Netflix of books. So you go to the Scribd app. You can download Company Rules. It's an audio book. I narrate it myself. So <laughs> it's almost as soothing as listening to Morgan Freeman, um, who was busy and couldn't do it. Uh, but I think it's for, I, honest to God, when I, when I look at it, I, and during the course of writing it, the rules are great, I think, for anybody who's in business, right? It's not, and it doesn't matter whether you got five people or you got 5,000 people, because you, I, what I find anyway, I'm subjective, is they seem applicable across the board. And then it's also what I've realized, a lot of these things are the same things I tell my kids, right? So mm -hmm. it may be applicable. I may have written a parenting manual is what I'm saying. Um, and it's not so, that different, by the it's way. Not <laughs> it's not that yeah. different. Exactly. Anybody running a business knows it's, it's, you know, sometimes it's not that different, but anyway, and then as far as social goes, I got the, the whole Twitter thing. It's at MB company man at MB company man. And awesome. uh, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's where we're at. Perfect. Okay. And the last question I ask everyone, uh, mm -hmm. you sort of had, you've had two lives, you've had agency life, then, then entrepreneur life after everything, what does success mean to you? Uh, you know what, that um, I raise healthy, productive, loyal, humor filled, honest, hardworking kids, and um, that they are above average. I, I tell them all the time, my job and, and Emily's job, we're, we're not here to raise average people. Um, so if we can achieve that, then everything else is, is kind of a bonus. I want to take a second and thank Indeed. They're a huge sponsor of the Success Story podcast. And as business leaders, we're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. It's to match with Indeed. Now, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. You need to ditch the busy work. You need to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. All the tools you need are in one spot. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent, fast and listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash clary just go to indeed.com slash clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash clary terms and conditions apply if you need to hire you need indeed this episode is brought to you by netsuite now as a business owner i always remember when my company hits a growth spurt it's great but then you realize that things start to break things are taking three times as long. Manual processes start to bury your team in paperwork and admin, and you really don't have one reliable source of data or truth to understand how healthy your business is. If this sounds familiar, you have to know three numbers. 37,000, that's how many businesses have upgraded to NetSuite, the number one cloud financial system. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year, that's 25 years streamlining accounting, inventory, HR, and more for growing companies and one, because your business truly is one of a kind, 
NetSuite gives you customized solutions so you can manage everything about your business in one place from inventory to invoicing, one powerfully efficient system. I love having all of my data in one spot. NetSuite allows me to do that. It gives me the big picture so I can make smarter decisions and they turn complex financials into understandable actionable insights. Right now you can get NetSuite's popular KPI checklist for free to help improve your business. It's designed to help you boost performance across key areas of your business. Go to netsuite.com slash Clary to download the checklist and see how one complete system can transform your growth. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Get more control in your business with NetSuite. Just a quick question. Have you ever had one of those oh no moments when you realize that you accidentally deleted a huge file or worse, your whole computer dies? I know I have. It's happened to me a lot, but don't sweat it. The sponsor of today's episode, Backblaze, they have your back. It is unlimited backups for all your Macs, your PCs, or even your whole company. And it's really affordable, under a hundred bucks a year. If you're running a business, they take the stress out of protecting everyone's data. If you need more bells and whistles for compliance, so on and so forth, they have enterprise options too. Honestly, losing data sucks, but Backblaze makes getting it back easy. They have restored billions of files. They offer tons of restore options, including rapid recovery in an event of data loss or ransomware. And you can access your backed up data from everywhere and anywhere in the world using their web app, iOS, or Android apps. It's been recommended by the New York Times, Inc., Macworld, PC World, LifeWire, Wired, Tom's Guide, 9to5Mac, and tons more. And best, you can try it fully featured with no risk at backblaze.com slash story. They set up that link for all Success Story podcast listeners. That is a no risk free trial at backblaze.com slash story. Seriously, back up your stuff. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. I want to thank Belay for sponsoring today's episode. They provide solutions that all of us need. They help us get back more of our time because time is the most precious resource. A lot of you listening our business leaders, entrepreneurs, you know that if you spend your time incorrectly, it can make or break your business, your personal, professional relationships. It can completely sidetrack you and stop you from reaching your goals. So I'm going to ask you, are you protecting your time? How much of your day is eaten up by tasks that could have been done by someone else? Wouldn't you rather spend your time on things that truly matter? The answer should be yes, because you have to, to move the needle 
on whatever it is you're trying to build. That's where Belay comes in. They are the nation's largest pool of exceptional U.S.-based talent. Belay offers flexible staffing solutions to free you up. Need a virtual assistant to conquer those pesky administrative tasks or maybe an accounting professional to really keep your finances in order? Belay can help with all that and way more. Their personalized matching process saves you the headache of hiring by finding the perfect match for your needs in as little as a week. Focus on what matters the most with the help from Belay. Text SUCCESS. That's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to learn more and get started.